If you brought your Bibles today, um, we're going to open up to the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah, towards the end of it, Jeremiah chapter 45. If you did not bring your Bible, I still encourage you to follow along because many of us have phones. Go on your phone, go to BibleGateway.com or the Bible app, and we're going to open up to Jeremiah chapter 45. I'll just give you just one moment because we're going to look right through this text. It is a five-verse text, so we're going to handle all of it today, and I invite you to have those Bibles open, take some notes, and we'll dig deep today. What is success? That's a question that we often find ourselves asking. What, what is success? There's so many definitions and ideas and, and leadership books and programs and training guides. What is success? That is a question we all, at some point or another, have wondered. Now, for me, I don't know if you're like me. You, you might be and you might not. Let's see. We're about to find out. I'm an overthinker. Is anybody an overthinker? Oh, so some people like me. Uh, Praise God for those of you who are not. Well done. That's awesome. So exciting. It must be really not. I, I can't. Tell me how afterwards. Sound good? But for those of us who are overthinkers, when I was becoming a new dad, it was about three years ago, and my wife was pregnant with our first child, and I wondered not only what is success, but for me the question was, what does it mean to be a successful parent? Now, I could have simply just said, Dear Lord, uh, please give me peace in my heart and allow me to accept situations beyond my control and allow me to do your will every day with my children. However, and, and that would be great, however, I overthink. So a lot of some of the overthinking I did is I started with, if you know me, I'm a nerd, and I, did, I started thinking about Luke Skywalker, okay, the hero's journey. And you're like, what? How did we get there? Here's how we got there. Luke Skywalker is this amazing hero, but he's this ordinary kid sent on an adventure. It's called The Hero's Journey. He's sent on an adventure, and he's got this amazing mentor, a parent-like figure, if you will, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, so the secret is to be like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Or try The Lord of the Rings. Frodo is this ordinary hobbit living in Bag End after his uncle, and this amazing wizard Gandalf shows him the way on how to defeat... Okay. Katniss Everdeen is this typical young lady living in a difficult time, but then Hamish comes in and shows her the way. Okay, try this one. Neo is living in the Matrix, and he doesn't know it, and along comes Morpheus to explain everything. So I started thinking, okay, I need to be a great mentor figure, and that's the secret to parenting. It's kind of like a wind-up toy. You do all the proper training, and you set the kid off, and now they live a perfect life. Any parents here? Is that the solution? Okay, so we rejected that one. Okay, so that's not success. So then I thought, okay, fine, fine, fine. Disney movies. Disney movies offer the answer to all of life's questions. Am I right? I'm wrong. Okay, but let me show you why I'm wrong. Happily ever after. Clearly, all I have to do as a parent is create a perfect life for my children and what could go wrong. Okay, I'm, so we're going to throw that one out too. Fine. But let's be honest, all roads lead to Rocky Balboa. They do. I'm sorry. I don't know why they do. All roads lead to Rocky Balboa. So all I have to do is go the distance. It's not about, first of all, the only Rocky worth watching is the first one. All the rest are not good. Now, second of all, second, thank, I heard an amen. Thank you. Now, second of all, you Rocky Four people, I don't get you. Now, 
Sorry about that, my friends. Uh, forgive me, Father. Okay, so here is the thing. If going the distance, because Rocky doesn't need to beat Apollo Creed, it's just about going the distance. Okay. And that seemed maybe a little bit closer. So as a parent, maybe is it just, I have to teach my kids to never give up, to understand that life is a journey, we have to keep going, we just have to say, got to go the distance. That seemed a little bit closer. But I think I was still missing something. And so we're going to look at a text that I feel really shows us some keys that can open the doors to success. Because clearly it's not about being the perfect mentor. Clearly it's not about creating the perfect life for my children or for our lives. That's not it. And it's not just going the distance. There's something more. And so we turn to the prophet Jeremiah. Now, unfortunately, I've been handed the prophet Jeremiah in one week. Let's be honest, the 52 chapters of Jeremiah should be a year-long series. So we're not going to try to do the whole book of Jeremiah today. We're going to look at one chapter, and I'm going to give you a Wikipedia in advance so you know what's going on if you're not super familiar. So, Jeremiah's life was a wild ride. He was a prophet, a person who foretold and foretold during his time, and he lived towards the end of the reign of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And he lived in Judah, and one of the things he did is he had to speak truth to power during this time, and no one really listened to him consistently. And his life was really about staying faithful even when people were disobedient and they made idols and they did all these other things. And so here's four quick highlights from the book. Chapter 21, he didn't go to the king and say, hey, king, live forever, you're the man. He said, hey, king, um, you guys are misbehaving and being disobedient and Babylon's going to destroy you. And then uh, in chapter 36, the prophet of God was banned from God's temple. Figure that one out. In chapter 43, Jeremiah was kidnapped by rebels and taken to Egypt. And by the time we get to the end, chapter 52, Jeremiah had joined his people in exile as Judah was now conquered. So, there's a problem here. You're like, wait a second, David. This is, what? What is success? And you're telling me about a guy who failed to stop his nation's disobedience. He failed to influence the one person, the king of Judah, that he was supposed to influence, and he failed to prevent the destruction of the kingdom. How could someone like that offer a model of success, you may wonder? There's an answer for that in Jeremiah chapter 45, and we're going to look at that, but first let's pray together. Father God, we ask that as we read through your word that we would be given ears to hear. We're so grateful for the witness and the testimony of those who've gone before us, like the prophet Jeremiah and his scribe Baruch. Please allow us to look at their experiences, their faithfulness, and to see how we can live faithfully for you in 2021. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so hopefully you're opened up to Jeremiah chapter 45. If you're not, take a moment. Now, this is a five-verse section. Jeremiah has been living his life, and nobody's been listening to him. And now he's sitting down with his scribe and friend and personal secretary and all-around cool guy and buddy, Baruch. And we're really going to be talking especially not just about Jeremiah, but Baruch today. Because sometimes characters like Jeremiah, who live these 
over-the-top lives, and, and they're just amazing truth to power, and, and they're just, he's doing all these different things. It, he can be harder to relate to. Baruch is someone we can relate to. Who is Baruch? His name means blessed. So we got to start with that. He's not someone who his name means like, oh, I'm cursed. Oh, life is awful. Looking at Baruch, just to begin with, his name literally means blessed. For 20 years, he was Jeremiah's number two. And he was his recording secretary. He was well-educated, but he was a relatively ordinary guy. Unlike some other people that we come across in Scripture in the Old Testament, he was not a great king. He was not a great warrior. He wasn't even a prophet. He was a guy who sat down and wrote stuff when he was told what to do and just tried to live faithfully and obediently. What I like about Baruch and characters like him is I feel there's a lot we can get out of them. It's hard to say, wow, I'm going to be like King David or wow, I'm going to be like Jeremiah. Sometimes people like Baruch are like, okay, potentially I can just learn what ordinary faithfulness looks like from someone like him. Baruch... I'm going to give two quick analogies just so we understand. And if you know one of these cultural references, we should be good. Baruch to Jeremiah was kind of like Dr. Watson to Sherlock. Or West Wing fans. Do we have any West Wing fans? Thank you. That's my wife. A few over there. Thank you. My wife is representing. Uh, Leo McGarry to President Jed Bartlett. That kind of an idea. Okay? So the reality is we're talking to someone who's not the guy, someone who's supportive and positive and trying to just do what they can to help. So, here's the thing. They're sitting down and they're writing all this stuff. And let's be honest, the book of Jeremiah is heavy stuff. If you know the book of Jeremiah, you're like, wow, there's a lot there. So imagine that you're sitting with the prophet Jeremiah and your Baruch, and you're writing and writing and writing, and he's talking about, I took a loincloth and I hid it, and then I came back and it was soiled, and this is like, et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, wow, heavy stuff, okay. What started to happen with Baruch as he's being the scribe for Jeremiah is he's starting to see the way to the world. He's got information overload. We think today that when you go on the internet and you can find any information, we think we're overwhelmed. Baruch literally was sitting down with Jeremiah in advance of the kingdom falling, finding out that the kingdom was going to be falling, and he just had to be faithful to God. His mind was blown. He was starting to be frustrated. He was starting to have a hard time with that. But God is good. God has mercy. And God did something amazing in this chapter. While they were sitting and having all this advice and information and prophecy for Judah and for the surrounding kingdoms and for Babylon and even for today— Jeremiah 45 is literally God giving a personal message to Baruch. You can be like, wow, I, don't, I didn't even know who Baruch was in advance. Exactly. Because God cares about us. God cares about each of us. And this message is, is in some ways a stand-in for us. Baruch is sort of, a, from a literary perspective, an everyman character. He's really one of these people that we can look at and say, wow, I can learn a lot from his experience. So when God is speaking to Baruch, He's speaking to us. You're going to see that what Baruch is struggling with is often what we can struggle with in our lives. And if, and if you're sitting in, and I think many of us can say, wow, the idea of getting a personal message is a big deal. But in case you can't, it is a big deal in the 21st century. I found out recently that there is a website that for as low as $500, you can have a celebrity sing happy birthday to you. 
I'm, I'm not joking. Like, this is a thing. Um, so, clearly, there's a need in our society for this idea of being heard and seen and having a personal message. And so, this is what's so amazing. Baruch didn't pay $500 to get a celebrity to sing happy birthday. He instead got a direct message during his time from God. And that direct message, I think, really, there's a lot we can learn from. So what did God speak to Baruch about? Baruch had seen a lot. He was having to process all this. And here's the thing. And this is a big thing we have to understand as we go into these keys. There's keys for success. But Baruch had a problem. He looked at events and situations and circumstances, and he saw he believed they were out of control, instead of saying that God was in control. And that's a situation that we can often find ourselves in. We look at things and we see that they're a mess, and we feel that events are out of control, not that God is in control. And so if we're going to experience success, that is one of the things we need to remember. It's not that situations, circumstances, and events are out of control. God is in control. And so here's our first key, and we're going to look directly in this message because we've now set the stage in these first two verses of the text. So we now understand what's going to happen, and here is the beginning of it. The key, first key is get out of my head. Period. And that's something that, remember, I, I'm an overthinker. Sometimes, if we just got out of our own head, things are a lot better. Look at what Baruch's doing. Verse 3. You, this is God speaking to Baruch. This is not Jeremiah speaking to Baruch. This is God speaking through Jeremiah to Baruch. You, Baruch, said, Woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. Okay, so... Baruch was having a pity party. He was like, oh, life's so awful. Everything's about me and it's so hard. This is so difficult. Okay. He was dealing with burnout. He was saying, I find no rest. That this is just too much. I can't do this. It's so hard. There's a phrase, halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When we experience these, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, we don't make our best decisions. Baruch was feeling like this. When we are hungry, angry, lonely, tired. We need to halt, stop, get our needs met, and then turn and say, okay. Baruch was feeling like this. He was just in his head. It was his thoughts that were the problem. He needed to stop, pray, trust God, and ask to be part of the solution. Instead, he was saying this, woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. Notice that. He's all me-focused. In education, we call this egocentric. He was very egocentric. The Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. But then look what God now says to him. This is the reply. Thus, in verse 4, Thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built, I am breaking down, and what I have planted, I am plucking up, that is the whole land. Oh, so Baruch, it's not just all about you. This isn't about, I am weary from groaning, from sighing. It's so hard. The whole land is changing. Times are changing. We're going through a time of great change. Situations and circumstances weren't out of control. God was in control because here's what was going on. It wasn't about Baruch having a pity party. 
That wasn't why life was hard. Life was hard because Judah, the kingdom, had decided that instead of following God, they were going to make idols and they were going to follow them. And God was letting the natural consequences of sin play out. If you're going to make an idol of whatever you want, a monkey, whatever, see, go ahead and see how much power it has. Zero power. Go for it by all means. And that's what was happening. And they were in a time where Judah was being shown those idols don't have power. God has power. If you're feeling like situations and circumstances are out of control, God is in control. But it was hard. It was hard because there was a lot of change happening. The kingdom of Judah was, it, it, this verse describes being like a vine planted. So imagine having to do some gardening and you've got this vine and it's just going all out of control. And sometimes with a vine, you got to uproot it and replant it or you got to cut some off. But remember, language used later, this vine, eventually a shoot of it, a shoot of Jesse, would be Jesus. So ultimately, even though things were chaotic now, it's not like everything was just done and they were toast and there was no more existence. There was still hope in a future. But Baruch needed to get out of his head and trust that God was in control. When we go through tough times, we miss that it isn't the end. And this isn't a super tough time, but here's a silly little example. A couple years ago, my wife and I bought a house. And it was a foreclosure. So those of you who know things about real estate and foreclosures will be like, so David, it was a fixer-upper. It was a mess, right? Okay, yes, thank you for that perspective. Here's the reality, is that we just saw all the problems. And I was very discouraged. And it was so hard. Uh, not really, but I, I acted like it was so hard because I was in my head. I was all upset. But when finally I started to see, wow, God's doing something good. Now we love our house. Ruby loves our house. Henry's going to love our house. It's not a perfect house. I'm going to date myself. But remember the show MTV Cribs? We're not going to be on MTV Cribs, even if it still existed. I don't know if it does. But it's a nice house. So we enjoy it. It's totally fine. We got to get out of our head when we start just panicking and making things so, so awful. Baruch and Jeremiah lived in a time of great change. Now, I'm going to talk about then, but it's going to sound like I'm talking about now. This is what they were dealing with. New technologies were suddenly available that seemed to totally change everything. New groups of people had power, and they were using their power and doing different things. New ideas seemed to be around that seemed to, to just be an erosion of everything, and Baruch was just feeling overwhelmed, like, what is going on? Woe is me. The Lord has added sorrow to my pain. And he had to be reminded he needed to get out of his head. Our thoughts deceive us when we think that the situations are out of control and not that God is in control. And that's what my grandfather, who was a pastor, always said. What people forget is that ultimately the questions we experience in life are, is God sovereign? Is God in control? If yes, we act a certain way. If no, well then but he is. And so we got to get out of our heads. And that leads us to the second key then. So if we get out of my head, never compare. Because it's all temporary anyways. Everything we're going through right now, everything here is temporary. You've heard the phrase real life, in real life. Oh, well, in real life, I would never do that. Here's the thing. Real life is eternal life. This is temporary life. This isn't real life. Real life is with God in heaven this is temporary life. We're going through this now, and we do the best we can. 
we're here to be humble servants. We're here to, to love God and love people and do what we can. This is not real life. So if we're comparing and we're saying that everything is the end and end all and be all in this life, it's not. This is all temporary. So comparing is just super not helpful. And look at exactly in the text, verse 5. This is, again, God speaking to Baruch. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I'm bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. Baruch was asking a question that we often ask. What's in it for me? This is actually, it's funny. This is a, this is a trope that's often used in movies. Um, you'll notice, type in what's in it for me, and you'll see it's in like a thousand movies. Characters will often ask this. What's in it for me? This is just a very common very, very common thing, because this is the question. Okay, yeah, God, is, here's Baruch. I'm being faithful. I feel like everything's so difficult, but I've been faithful. What's coming next? He was comparing himself. He was looking at different prophets, and he's been faithful to Jeremiah, so does that mean when Jeremiah's gone, he can be the next prophet? And he's wondering, he's wondering, what position do I have? He's looking around and not being satisfied. We live in a really interesting moment right now. It's being called the Great Resignation. In the month of September, a record 4.4 million people in our country quit their jobs. This is not about me. This is not about us. This is just a societal-wide issue. People are looking around and wondering, what's in it for me? Can I do better? It's a felt need of what's going on right now in our society. We're comparing, we're wondering, we're questioning. But the problem is, is I still cling to that U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, which is now an old song from the 80s. You probably, some of us remember when it was a newer song or even just a slightly vintage song. It's an old song now, that's okay. But that idea, we're not gonna, if we're constantly searching and we're never content and we're always comparing, we're not gonna find what we're looking for. Because that's not what success is. Success is not, again, we rejected my idea of the, the Disney ending for my children, right? If we reject that, then the I'm still, I still haven't found what I'm looking for idea, that's not helpful either. Instead, I like to think that life is kind of like a carousel in a lot of ways, but here's the way I'm going to put it. We often wonder as parents, how come my kids like blank? Where did that ever come from? Now, my daughter loves carousels. She goes carousel up and down, and she does this little leg thing. And she loves it, and it's not random why she loves it. She loves it because I loved carousels. So as a kid, I went down to the, I lived in Rhode Island. I went to the Crescent Park Carousel in Rhode Island, Riverside, Rhode Island, and it was great. But the problem with the carousel is if you try to do everything all at once, you'll be miserable. Let me explain. On a carousel, you've got the horse that, as my daughter says, goes up and down. Then you've also got some horses that stay standing. Then you've got chariots that are lower. Then, if that wasn't enough, because carousels are amazing, you also have rings, and you can reach up and you grab the ring. And there's different types of rings. There's the brass ring that everyone wants to get, and you get a free ride with the brass ring. Or there's just other rings, and there's a big clown face, and you can throw the rings into the clown mouth. The problem that happens is if I approach the carousel and want to do everything in one ride, I'm miserable. I don't get the brass ring. I miss the clown's mouth. I'm only on one of the horses, not all three types, and it's not any fun. 
The way to experience the carousel is to pick what you're doing, not compare to the other people, not sit and be like, this is miserable, this isn't Disney World. Yeah, no kidding, it's not Disney World. It's a carousel, okay? It's a carousel. Carousels are what they are. They're not the world's greatest amusement ride. They're not the world's worst. They're just carousels. And if I'm sitting on the chariot and just being so mad that the other person is on the horse going up and down, I'm just having a miserable time and wasting my time around on the carousel. But instead, what I learned as a kid is you pick what you're going to do. So this time, I'm going to go on the horse. I'm just going to get as many rings as I can, and I'm just going to try to fill. There's a little rod, and you just try to fill the, fill the rod with rings. That's fun. That's what we can do in life is we pick something, and we just say, real life is eternal life. In this temporary life, I don't need to do everything. Instead, I can just try to be reasonably happy, do what God's given me, and be okay with it. And Baruch was reminded of this. He didn't need to expect wealth. He didn't need to expect position or power. Those worldly things weren't going to satisfy him. They were just going to keep him comparing and feeling like he was weary from groaning, all in his head and upset. Too many of us have a mindset like Baruch. And his mindset can be subbed as this, summed up like this. Obedience leads to blessing. Disobedience leads to cursing. This idea of obey and be blessed, disobey and be cursed. The problem with that thinking is that life is not about material positions and powers. When we do that, we are never satisfied. Instead, if I'm going to say, okay, here are the keys. Get out of my head and never compare, then what is the third key to success? See today as the gift it is. Jesus put it best when he said, the kingdom of God is within you. God is now speaking again to Baruch, and he says this here in the second half of the final verse of this chapter. God says to Baruch, I will give you your life as a prize of war in all places which you may go. Baruch needed to realize that just living today is success. Life is fragile. There are a thousand times that Baruch could have lost his life. He could have lost it in a battle. He could have lost it in the siege. That time he got kidnapped and taken to Egypt, he could have died. There's a million times that he could have died. But instead, every day that he woke up and he wasn't dead and he was breathing was an opportunity to serve God, be friends with Jeremiah, do what he could to live a faithful life. That in itself was a gift. Some people look at this passage. If you knew Jeremiah 45 in advance, you may have been taught that this was a rebuke of Baruch, that this was kind of a negative chapter. Some people see it that way. Some others see that, wow, this is actually an encouragement of Baruch, that he needs to simply realize that today is a gift. All the other stuff doesn't matter. Your groaning doesn't matter. Your comparing doesn't matter. Life is a gift. Enjoy today. I think of the old proverb in Ecclesiastes 9 by Solomon, the preacher. He says, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Just being alive. That's right from the Bible. Just being alive. So many of us want to be a lion, but I'll tell you, you can ask my daughter. She'd be happy to just be the puppy going around. She loves puppies. Uh, we pray for puppies every night. She loves puppies. Just be a puppy. Like, we don't need to be a lion. Just be a puppy, be happy, and let's live to fight another day. My grandfather, I referred to before, was never the world's greatest pastor or leader. 
He was a brilliant man who graduated early at the age of 16 from what became North Quincy High School. And he had an opportunity to go on a full ride to Princeton. But then his mom had a stroke, and his dad was diagnosed with ALS Lou Gehrig's disease. And so he gave up going to Princeton, and instead he stayed at home. He went to Eastern Nazarene College, and he was remembered for carrying his dad as his dad's disease progressed up the stairs of Park Street Church. Then by the time he became a minister, it wasn't to some huge church of 4,000 people. This is not a misspeak. It was to sometimes four people in the prairies of Dakota, of the Dakotas. But the thing was, it wasn't about numbers or being, feeling like, oh, I have a great-sized congregation. It wasn't about comparing himself to other pastors. It was about saying, I have the opportunity to share the gospel, to pray with people, to serve them, to love my family, to end the service and to have lemon poppy seed muffins. And the lemon poppy seed muffins probably aren't as good as whatever megachurch pastors got to do. But for my grandfather, just being able to sit with the people he loved and serve them and have the lemon poppy seed muffins was such an amazing thing that it has influenced generations after him. I know that that's one of my father's big things as he looks at it and he just says, hey, I'm just here to be humbly serve. I don't need to be the world's greatest leader. I just, I care about people. I want to help them. That's really been inspirational for me. I try to just say, you know what? I'm not here to be the perfect mentor. I'm not here to create happily, happily ever after. I'm not even here to be Rocky Balboa going the distance. I just want to be a sweet guy who's remembered as someone who prays for people and cares about them. And I want to teach that to my children. And if we start to learn from Baruch that we don't need to be weary from our groaning, we don't need to be comparing, we don't need to have power and position, we can just see that today is a gift, then we start to feel a measure of peace. Then it doesn't matter the fact that Judah's going to be conquered and that they're going to go in exile because today's a gift anyways. All those events are just temporary life. That's not real life. That's not eternal life. And so that takes me back to my starting question that I asked. What does it mean to be a successful dad? Now, I have a license plate holder on my car that said, friend of Buttonwood Zoo. Do I have any fans of Buttonwood Zoo here? It's, yeah, so Madison's seen my license plate holder. So my license plate holder says, Friends of Buttonwood Zoo. It's probably my favorite gift I've gotten all year, maybe in the last couple years, maybe ever. Let me tell you why. Buttonwood Zoo is not Disney World. When I take my kids to Buttonwood Zoo, I am not spending thousands of dollars and taking them on a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see Mickey Mouse and to have tea with Minnie Mouse and all these amazing things. It's just not. It's not like I'm doing something that's so awesome and it's amazing. Except it is. Because when we go to Buttonwood Zoo, we've gone, I believe, 30 times since May. That's not, a, that's not an exaggeration. We have a membership. A membership to Buttonwood Zoo costs, I think, $50 for the year for our family. And as we've gone there, Ruby's too, and she's gotten to know the zookeepers and the animals. Now, when I say know the animals, I don't mean... She just like sees the animals and she's like, oh, I like the coyote. No, she literally talks about how Molly the coyote is her friend and draws pictures for her. She, it's hard with a two-year-old to talk about death and illness and suffering with people. However, when Ruth the elephant had an issue with her foot for a while and had to go into Ruth's house, 
I was able to talk with Ruby about how sometimes people and animals become ill and need to be taken care of, and it's hard. And when we come to time for bedtime, I'm not allowed to finish our night-night prayer ritual without praying for the following friends. Emily the elephant and Ruth the elephant, Toby the bear, yellow and blue the seals. Oh, I'm going to keep going. Molly the coyote, Gladys the pig, Oh, I'm still going. Daisy the cow, Pearl, Barkley, and Juno the horses, and could we ever forget Sarah the bison? We couldn't. But the point is, is it's, I'm not saying that, wow, look at me, I've trained my daughter to be so smart. No, she just naturally loves and cares about animals. What I'm learning about being a father is that I don't need to be all anxious about my parenting. I don't need to just be in my own head all worried. Sometimes taking to my kids to Buttonwood Zoo and letting them just experience the animals is enough. I don't need to be comparing to all the other parents on Instagram who are in better shape than I am and more wealthy than I am and I feel just like, wow, I don't need to be comparing. I don't need to be comparing to their trips to Europe or Disney World or whatever. I can be content and see that today is a gift with my children and how amazing is it that my daughter wants to pray for an elephant. That's amazing. that's awesome, right? And that's what I have found with my life. When we think of what is success, success is get out of my head. I'm going to put up a little graphic. Never compare. See every day as a gift. That's success. We don't need to have the perfect Instagrammable life. We don't need to do things that are just going to blow people away. There's, There's someone that that said this, that one of the reasons Americans have so much financial issues is because we spend money we don't have for things we don't need to impress people that don't matter. I don't need to just be so wrapped up and worried, and neither do any of us. I don't need to be comparing to other people. I can say, wow, God has put amazing opportunities in my life just to be alive. Isn't it amazing that I can pray with my children, that I can love my wife, that I can teach kids at school, that I can help pastor a church, that we can be part of a community together, and that's enough. And that is the lesson of Baruch. The world can be a better place when a bunch of ordinary Baruchs just say, hey, I want to be here and make a difference. So my invitation to you is this. Hug your kids. Go on a date with your spouse. High-five your friends. Pray to God and just say, wow, God, thank you for the gift of my life because I don't need more than that. I can be content. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for this opportunity to come together. We ask that today and each day could be a time of contentment, that we would see that life is about not perfect happiness in this life, but reasonable happiness now and perfect happiness and contentment with you in the next. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the fact that we can experience Jesus' love in our hearts today and this day forward. Amen.